Back here on the KNC Masterpiece on 105.3 The Fan, Corey Majors, Mike Bassick. We got Joey hanging out with us today. Dan Quinn has returned. Does that make uh, Does that make anything different for you? 877-881-1053. You want me to call in? Yeah, go ahead, Mike. Go ahead and call in, and then uh, I'll wait. Mike from uh, North Oak Cliff calling in here. All right, Mike, what do you got? Long-time listener. Uh, I'd like to say this makes a major difference for me. Really? I think losing Dan Quinn I thought was going to happen, and it would have scared me tremendously on how they were going to use Micah Parsons correctly. On would this de- would this defense not revert all the way back to 2020, one of the worst defenses I've ever seen in NFL history, but would it go back to an average defense? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that they can make the playoffs if it's an average defense. And so now that Dan Quinn is back, I assume that it's going to be a good defense next year, and I assume the Cowboys make the playoffs because Dan Quinn is back. Now, and there, this could be a, a billion different reasons that he decided this is the place, all right? And, and I saw Skip Bayless say, man, Jerry Jones must be giving him so much unreported money. And I was like, well, I mean, I don't know about that. I have no clue what's going If he was like, hey, here's our black credit card. You just go enjoy life. Uh, I don't know what that situation is. But when Dan Quinn says my heart is in Dallas, that's that's what we were talking about yesterday, Mike. I was I was every year when Will McClay gets an opportunity to go somewhere else, he says, I'm a cowboy. My heart is here. And I think there are a lot of things that he is connected to. Uh, I, I know that a lot of people that work in the Cowboys organization can get caught up in the glitz and glamour of being part of the Dallas Cowboys organization. You mentioned you just mentioned in the world that you work for the Dallas Cowboys and people look at you differently. I mean, just think about Roger Staubach. His entire his entire business was built off of his name as a brand. I am a Dallas Cowboy. I also am Roger Staubach. Working for the Staubach company made you completely, like people just thought of you differently because you worked around Roger Staubach. So being a Dallas Cowboy, being part of that whole situation, and sometimes it gets really weird in the soap opera of the Dallas Cowboys, but just being part of it does kind of like you've been to a number of organizations around the NFL. Maybe you're sitting back going, this is a pretty good spot. Being in DFW is not a bad area for me. I don't need the big city. Uh, being part of what, you know, the climate's actually not that bad. Except for it's been a little cold lately. That's a cold snap. It's okay. You get paid pretty well. There's lots of great amenities there. And he has Micah Parsons. I mean, you mentioned that, Mike. You're dead on with that whole thing. I would have been terrified trying to figure out what they're, who they're going to find next. Because you'd ever know, when it comes to Jerry and the, and the boys, what they're going to settle for. Or what they're going to go, who's going to pitch them just the right way. that they're like, that's our guy. And he doesn't turn out, doesn't put the work in. You had a guy, you have a guy, that was committed to it. And he said, I want to come back. Because I love these guys. And I, that's something that I really, I'm really excited about. Because all those guys on that defensive side... They put in a lot of passion for this season. I mean, you watch J. Ron Curse walk off that field. That dude gave everything he had. He even said that in the locker room after the game. That's a lot of passion. Somehow your next coach, your next defensive coordinator, was going to need to find and draw that back out of these guys. And I'm excited that it's back. To your point with Curse, nobody really wanted Curse. Like he was bottom of the barrel free agent, right? Yep. The, in in free agency, you if you're really good, you sign before free agency even starts, and if you're pretty good, you sign the day of or the day after free agency starts. And then it's like, all right, here's what's left over that nobody really wanted, 
how can we make these limited players work in our organization or in our program? And it seems like Dan Quinn is able to take the $2 million free agent and say, I can make them work. I can, I can take this guy and I can figure out how to make them work. I'm not saying Barr had the greatest of years this year. But when you're, you can't, if you're like, hey, we're not going to go get you a $10 million a year linebacker. That's, that's out of our budget. We're going to get you a $2 million linebacker. Figure out who nobody wants and figure out how they can work in your system. I think Dan Quinn does a really good job of that. If if the, you found out a report was true that Dan Quinn was making head coaching money, would it matter to you? Not at all. Not, not either. Uh, the dude clearly has options. He has a couple of different places there. I think there are multiple places he could go be a head coach. Jerry Jones is like, I am sp- I'm writing that check. I, can't, I tell you all the time, there's no check I won't write. I'm writing it for this guy because I believe in him. That's that tells me something. That tells me that that, that if people want to stick around for whatever they whatever's going on. Somebody was like, "Look, being part of a Cowboys is more of a joke these days than than being prestigious." There there is time to try to rebuild that and recover from that. I mean, this organization has been at its height, and then it like I would say shortly after the Jimmy Johnson era was the comedic low of the Dallas Cowboys. The last few years have been weird. I mean, you're trying. You can see they're trying to do things. But the Dave Campo era, it didn't work. It didn't like. It was comedically the lowest time. So he said, "I got to go get Bill Parcells. I got to go. You know, that's what I have to do to get the credibility of this team back." I think to that person's point who texted in, I don't think it is to most players. And now they won't take less money to come here. That's that's the one thing agents themselves like. The players' association won't let that. Yeah. Because I'm going to take more money and maybe in certain areas have a better chance to win. But I think you have to understand if you're the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys and you're good at being the quarterback, you have a $20 million a year job, if not $30 million a year waiting for you. Dak Prescott's going to get paid 20 to $30 million a year to do exactly what Tony Romo does and Troy Aikman does. Uh, Jalen Smith wasn't even a good football player. And look how much Jalen Smith makes off of being a Dallas Cowboy. I, I can't even tell you. I think Jalen Smith's still with the Giants. I'm not even sure. Like, I, I don't know how. Yeah, I don't right. know what the contract. But if he was still with there. the Cowboys, he'd be making more money off of all of his extra stuff because he'd be on the Cowboys. He'd be more known. And so there are. You can if you're just average or even a little below average, but a starter on the Cowboys, you can start other companies and get that recognition. When you're a starter on the Giants or you're a starter on now, look. Uh, Even the Philadelphia Eagles, the Philadelphia Eagle fans, take this for what it's worth, I do believe that they're more passionate and care more about their team than Dallas Cowboy fans. But there's way more Dallas Cowboy fans. So the Eagles do have a whole bunch of fans, not nearly as many as the Dallas Cowboys. They're way more passionate. But the problem is in selling a product and being a good Eagle versus being a good Cowboy, you're going to have millions of more people who are like, well, I'm a Cowboys fan than an Eagles fan. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's I think that's a definite – we've seen it. I mean, there's just too many too many instances where we see how much respect the Cowboys star gets in the DFW area for sure. And then across the country, it has that's, it's, it does have an impact in a lot of different places so as well. are you like me on Dan Quinn? Yeah. Are you – because – if yeah, you said everything Dan I wanted Quinn, to say. I was worried. I really was. I thought, man, if they lose him, look, Mike Nolan was pathetic. Mm-hmm. And that was Mike McCarthy's pick. Mike McCarthy didn't, as far as I know, help, if I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. He didn't pick Dan Quinn. That was McClay who picked Quinn. 
Who got Dan Quinn here after Mike Nolan was the worst defensive coordinator we've to, seen possibly in Cowboys history? Up. I will have to dig that up because it because it does feel like Nolan was the was the choice there. But yeah. I, there are a lot of other. I'm gonna have to go back into the history of who and what there. I mean, I just remember I'm I'm 95 percent sure Mike Nolan was a Mike McCarthy hire, and the Cowboys were like, hey, great, we're bringing you in. You bring in your guy. We got our guy on the offensive side. We got our Kellen Moore. But you bring in your defensive guy. And he was so miserable. They're like, hey, we got to bring in a guy better than that. Let us help you get a defensive coordinator who's competent. Yeah, because that, that was an old friend from San Francisco that he had respect for. And you saw Philbin was one of those guys, too. When it comes to to Dan Quinn, I, I do question whether this is hanging over McCarthy in, for another season. Because hearing hearing Mike McCarthy say the things of like uh, you know of and we'll get to this more later in the show of Jerry said he wants me to coach here as long as Landry I I, I want to have that conversation <laughs> later for sure but like is the Dan Quinn is here and he's hanging on to take Mike McCarthy's job a big thing a big storyline for the future or is it hey McCarthy's built something that other coaches actually want to be part of. Quinn doesn't have to have the stresses of being a head coach and doing the daily press Uh conference that, you know, and doing all those other things. He gets to coach football and he gets to coach Micah. Like he gets to be connected to Micah for the next, for maybe however long his career is. I don't know Dan Quinn at all. And I don't really know Jason Garrett at all, except covering him for 10 years and doing interviews here and there at training camp. But I think that Jason Garrett was a snake in the grass the whole time Wade Phillips was the coach here. Yep. He was wanting to be the head coach of the Cowboys, and he knew I got to do what I need to do to become that guy. I'm not saying he sabotaged, and I get that some players felt like he yes. sabotaged I've in the end. I've heard from players, yes. But I do think that Jason Garrett the whole time there knew how to try to, because he knew the Jones family very well through his father and through being a backup quarterback here, how to possibly manipulate in getting the job he wanted, and that was head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. I don't think Dan Quinn's doing that. I hear what you're saying, that Dan Quinn could become the right. next coach of the Dallas Cowboys. I don't want it to be where I don't it's think Dan Quinn over. is the snake in the grass the way that Jason Garrett was to Wade Phillips. All right, and I want to find – okay, here we go. Cut 10. This is the one where – and I tweeted this out because I was waiting for my kids to get out of after-school program yesterday, and I was like, oh, it's 3 o'clock. G-Bag has Mike McCarthy running right now. Turned it on. And this made my ears perk up. This is Mike McCarthy giving his answer on will Kellen Moore be back? I really don't want to play this game, you know, today. Um, it's been a long couple of days. So we, Kellen Moore, and just like the rest of the coaches, will be evaluated. You know, every coach will be evaluated. So um, the evaluation just, you know, it, it takes more than one day. He, he may not have wanted to play the game, but that's the audio right there that's being played. And I do believe Sean was pointing out that question was kind of asked already. Fish asked that question secondly, and he asked it with this with this specific word. Can you say with clarity that Kellen Moore will be your offensive coordinator next year? And that's when Mike McCarthy shut it down. I don't want to play this game. I don't want to let's you know let's twist and find all these little words that give me look he's being evaluated now the answer is not yes and it's not no either right it's 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 but you're right it's not hey that's my it's not a thumbs up that's not a ringing endorsement now does he do that with every coach i don't know 
but it's not a ringing endorsement of I can't wait to have they that guy back. They didn't say Dan Quinn wants to come back, and he said, well, we're still evaluating. We get he's not taking a head coaching job, but we are still evaluating if I want him back as the defensive coordinator. Now, was, I think when I heard with the Dan Quinn stuff, it was more along the lines of I just talked to Dan. We're yeah. really excited about some right. things. And, like, he was, you know. Now, the weird thing is, is how do you not know? How do you coach next to a guy in training camp every game of the year and you're evaluating him right now? You should know. Like you should know after the season ends if you liked what he did week to week, day to day, or mm-hmm. if you didn't. Now, maybe, you know, and I know Mike McCarthy can't say this. Maybe he's like, well, it's not up to me. That's that's not my decision. I never hired maybe so. Kellen Moore. I was told he was my guy, and I agreed that he can be my guy. But I, I don't know. And, and somebody in um, the Twitch, I'm sorry I lost it here, uh, but they said McCarthy did pick Dan Quinn. Maybe, okay. Maybe he picked – I know he picked Mike Nolan, and then maybe he did fire him and hurry up and get Dan Quinn. So I don't know on the Dan Quinn if that was Mike McCarthy hiring. You just have to know the history of Jerry Jones, If uh, big uh, rich here, uh, is that he has picked a lot of coaches for the head coach. Okay. And the head coach has said, whatever you say, boss. Yeah. No, And, and you know what? You kind of have to do that here. This is a weird place, right? Where if you can get past all the the power part of it and still have some power in the locker room and the respect to your guys, that's a major victory. I don't think, like, a lot of people will look at the head coach as, oh, he's just a puppet of Jerry Jones. And there are a lot of things that you can say, all right, if that guy's ego is so big that he's going to let that be a problem, man, it's going to become a problem for sure. McCarthy's been able to put up a shield on a lot of things. I got a lot of respect for that. It's not easy to work for this GM. It's not easy to work for this owner. Somehow he's made it work and gotten twelve, two seasons of back-to-back 12 wins. Now, the big deal is your offense wasn't good enough in two straight, two straight big-time playoff games. Look, man, the game against Tampa Bay, huge because you had a lot of pressure on you. You played San Francisco two straight times, big-time moments, and your offense couldn't produce. That's where the problem lies, where you have to figure out. Now, that's where the evaluation is. Right. Was he, was he calling the right plays in this game specifically? What was the difference between this game for him and other games throughout the season? Is his offense even good enough? And I think there are times they're like, the offense is really fun. But, man, when you can't deliver when the big game is on the line, that's when you have a bit of a problem and you have to figure out if that's if it's just the game uh, and maybe you need to help him a little bit more. Or if you need to yeah. move on from the person himself and say we have an offensive. Maybe that's another thing too, Mike. What offensive coordinators are out there and available that are going to be able to provide a better offense than Kellen Moore this season? And I know some people hate this. And look, I'm told to do this, so deal with it. Okay. I am a former major league pitcher, so and I know being a pitching coach is different than being an offensive coordinator, but I don't recall us ever blaming the pitching coach for the five runs the pitcher gave up in a playoff game. We blame whether it's C.J. Wilson, whether it's Derek Holland, whoever pitched, and they didn't do their job. They, they contributed to a loss. We say, they didn't make the pitches when they needed to. Now, I know it's different because you're just throwing to a glove. It's a one-on-one matchup. You just need the catcher to frame pitches, set up pitches. But uh, I understand there's way more to quarterbacking and relying on your team than it is in pitching because it's more of a one-on-one matchup. But I just it's just weird to me that Dak's a good quarterback. I believe he's good. I believe Kellen Moore is a good offensive coordinator that some people just blame Kellen Moore and don't go, oh, Dak I, stunk. 
and he stunk in the game before in the playoffs against San Francisco. But when I went back and watched, I disagree with Mickey completely and totally is for this last game, the offensive line was solid. And maybe I'll go back and watch a year from now and go, no, it wasn't. Mm -hmm. But watching the game, I thought the offensive line was solid. The game before against San Francisco here in Dallas, they weren't good. They okay. weren't pathetic, oh, yeah, but yeah. they weren't good. Yeah. They they struggled at they times yeah. to give Dak time. So you could say, well, but still, guess what? I'm sure there were games where Peyton Manning didn't have the best offensive line or like the greatest quarterback still will usually find a way. Somehow yeah. Patrick Mahomes found a way to a Super Bowl with two starting offensive linemen. I'm he very, lost in the Super Bowl with them, but he found a way to get there with them. I'm very upfront, Mike, with you about this in that. I know that I can't get rid of Dak, so I might have to find another way because I can't just say that the Kellen Moore and Dak Prescott combination has worked completely in the playoffs, which is the next level of where I need to go. I need to go to the next place with this team. I need this window to be to stay open, so I can't say with certainty that I trust that Kellen Moore is the guy to get him over the top, even if Dak isn't perfect. Uh, I got to figure out which one of these. The, and Kellen Moore might have to be the uh, the sacrifice. We've talked about sacrifice. Sometimes you have to make that. Coming up next, Luca made the NBA All Star team, and guess what? The Mavs win. Luca must have been great last night. Next on the fan. Bridges at eight converge on Dinwiddie. Dinwiddie probing to the corner. Green. Yes, sir. Josh Green. That is Josh Green making his comeback the way that Mike predicted. But Spencer Dinwiddie, 36 points in Luka's absence last night. This team very top-heavy still for one player uh, whenever Luka exits. So that's pretty interesting. Luka is your all-star, by the way, uh, for this Dallas Mavericks team. That's pretty awesome. Mike, I know I knew going into last night that it was very unlikely you would finish the game because it was a late game. You kind of talked about it. But then when Luca went out, I was like, will Mike watch any more of this game? I watched a little bit more. You did? Okay. Until they said Luca's out for the rest of the game. And then you were like, oh, crap. I'm good. Well, okay. I don't know how long he's going to be out. I really don't. He could be out for Utah and then be back. He could be back for Utah. I don't know. But if it's out for last night, then I'm feeling like it's going to be a couple more days just for him to make sure that he's right so they can keep going everything all the way up until their break in the middle of the season. But is this a good time for the Mavericks to to learn more about themselves? Like I I, I think it is cuz you got to you got to find other guys that can do things and maybe they can't do them, but they got to step up and be more active in their offense and maybe that re-energizes some of what they've done. I don't. Okay. I already know. They're all 30 years old. Who do you, I mean, Josh Green, that's a good highlight. Josh Green can get better. Who? But we've 30 talked year about, old gets better in the NBA. But we've talked about this where a lot of guys don't want to just stand around and wait for the ball to come to them. That is true. And so I don't know if that may be like a, just a kind of a revitalization of, hey, I do get more opportunities when Luke is not on the court. Now, that doesn't mean that when Luke gets back, that it just goes back to normal either. Maybe right. some of those guys go, hey, you know what? I'm I'm ready for this moment. I'm going to make these shots. Uh, and Luca can be more of a distributor when those moments come around. I just, I, to your point, there's one human being on the whole basketball team that can do that, and that's Josh Green. I'm excited to see what he can keep doing because he's still in his early 20s and can improve. But I ask you, who do you think can improve with Luca out or show that they're worth more than what they've shown in their nine-year career? I So, 
am, am, are we taking the playoff window and just saying that's an anomaly for all those guys? Most people are in the NBA, even before the season. Remember, I was kind of like, man, I can't believe most people are picking the Mavericks to be a play-in team. And yeah. they were way more right than I was. I was completely wrong on this thing. I was just hoping for way more. But The, the shooting the shooting percentages of, of Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock were just insane right. during the playoffs. So it tells me something sets up for them to be able to do that. Maybe they just reverted back into pumpkins and that's what they are. But that's kind of what I'm what I'm more than anything. I can't expect that Reggie Bullock's going to say, guess what? Give me the rock. I'm the point guard on this team now. Well, he can't dribble. I, I, I'm not expecting that, Mike. I'm not expecting Dorian Finney-Smith to say, you know what? I'm turning into Jalen Brown. Watch this. I'm going to the, rack, to the rack. I'm not expecting those things. But maybe finding that shooting rhythm a little more because they do get those opportunities will be something that happens. Maybe Josh Green does have to step up into a – more of a distributor role, and he gets those opportunities. It's going to be all on Dinwiddie at this point. And, Mike, I guess to the the point of what happened last year, you had the Jalen Brunson experiment that really, during that playoff run, those guys did come alive because he was distributing to them. He had to find those guys. And then when Lucas stepped back in, he just picked up where things went. So maybe that was the thing. But I'm, that's kind of what I'm hopeful for is that some of these guys you. can come alive shooting again. I hope you're right. I've just given up. Because that's their offense. I've given up on this team. Okay. So I've just looked at it and said, I give up. They're all old. Lucas playing with an old team. He's not even playing with a young team. So I just go, nothing's going to change. I'm just looking real quick. I think Dorian Finney-Smith can shoot the ball better than his last two years in the NBA. He was a 39% three-point shooter. I believe this year he's at 35%. So he can improve a little bit. Uh, Reggie Bullock's been in the league since 2013. Okay, he's he is what he is. He's a for his career a 38% three-point shooter. This year he's shooting 35% from 3. So he can get maybe a little better. Last year he shot 36%. So I mean he's pretty much shooting the same that he shot last year. He is what he is. He's a solid 15 to 20 minute off the bench role player. I don't think he's going to get traded to the Knicks, but let's just say there's the rumor out there that Reggie Bullock to the Knicks for Cam Reddish. If he gets traded to the Knicks, he's not starting on the Knicks. And if he does, then he'll play the first five minutes, get taken off the court, and probably play like another five minutes in the second quarter. Like, the Knicks would trade for him. Think about this. The Knicks, who I think a lot of Mavs are going, we're better than the Knicks. I can't believe Jalen Brunson went there. They're such a crap organization and a bad team. But He's turned them into a better team. They have more talent than the Dallas Mavericks. Just the Mavericks have a much better overall number one than the New York Knicks have. He would go there and play 15 to 20 minutes. For the Mavs, come playoff time, he's going to play 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. For the Knicks, come playoff time, he's going to play 15 to 20 minutes. And that's the major difference that Mark Cuban can't take off his Mavs goggles and see. Because he thinks all these players, he's like, all these, these are the most underrated players in the history of the NBA. And then he calls up other teams. He's like, hey, man, uh, you want to trade with us? And all the all the organizations go, no, you have nothing we want. Unless you're trading Luka. Are you trading Luka? Yeah. And they're like, no, we're not. And they're like, all right, well, we're hanging up the phone now. And, and again, I, I mean, I was just looking at Callie Kaplan's Twitter, and she's like, look, I don't have anything yet. But when I know something about uh, Luka's ankle, I will let you know. And so we still, you know, we're not at that point where we know anything. I guess my curiosity turns to what is Jason Kidd's plan now? You know, like if it's, hey, roll the ball out there and let Luca do his thing, then you got to Now you got to coach. Uh, now you got to go say, all right, we're we're drawing these things up for you. Here's what you do well, Spencer. Uh, we're going to try and cater everything to what you do the, the, the uh, very well. 
in in that instant. Now, again, that could go. That could be a moot point. A cow's opinion uh, here in a couple of days if if Luca you know is back I, on the court. But I do think if they played all thirty three games without him left, I didn't count. Well, I guess I did count last night's game. And when I asked the poll question, I said, would they win zero to five games? And they're 33 left, and they've won one already. So they're 1-0 and oh without Luka. If Luka were – and he's not going to. Luka's probably going to come back within, I'll say, a game to two weeks. Somewhere in that range sure. is probably when Luka comes back. But if they had to play all 33 games without him, I think that the Mavericks would go 5-28. and 28. Okay. That's not good. Which we, That's, or I, so, it could be so great to, to get your a good point, When you're pick. asking me this question – this is my opinion. It doesn't mean they would go 5-28. and 28. They're not even going to have to, to try this. But this is how bad I think they are, Corey. I think when you're asking me who's going to step up, who's going to do this, I think the Mavs without Luka are worse than the Detroit Pistons. Now, they already lost to him with Luka. They're worse than the Houston Rockets. They're worse than the San Antonio Spurs. Like, by far, I think this team without Luka, if they played all 82 games, might set the record for worst record in the history of the NBA, which – the Mavericks were going after when I was in a teenager. If people that are not as old as us, the Mavericks were going for the the worst record. I believe is nine and seventy three. It might be eleven and seventy one in the history of the NBA. And the Mavs were competing for that for a couple of years. And I think they won thirteen games one year and like seventeen games another year. The Timberwolves went seven and forty one one time, right, but that doesn't count because it's a shortened season. All right, but, then I'll have to find the for other percentages, one. but. Uh, I mean, it counts if you just want to go off winning percentage, but uh, I think this would be arguably the worst team in the history of the NBA if they had to play a whole season without Luka with what they have. The That's also frustrating to try and figure out, like, what a, is Jason Kidd a really good coach or not? You know, if you don't have the talent, if you have good talent and the guy can't get you somewhere, then you're like, well, obviously it's the yeah. coach. You know, we have the talent is there. We've given the guy every single thing to possibly able to do it. Obviously, we have to change and move on from coaches. You may not have ever had to move on from Rick Carlisle if you were giving him all of the tools possible. But you were like, no, we got the one star. I wonder. We'll do it all with the, the rest of this. I, and, and this goes back to Cuban's finances. Not that Jason Kidd should be fired. Jason Kidd should be the coach the rest of this season, and he should be the coach next year, unless for some reason there was a huge blow up with Nico or with Luca or something like that, which it doesn't seem like Jason Kidd would be the type of person for that to happen to. But I also don't think Mark Cuban has enough money to fire a coach and then pay him for not coaching hmm. because Rick Carlisle quit. Right. Remember, and Donnie Nelson, yeah. I believe, I'm not 100% sure, was yeah, that's right. somewhat yeah. out of contract. So he said, we're not bringing him back. I, I think Mark Cuban somehow financially, like, I don't think he wants to pay somebody $5 million. I don't even know what Jason Kidd makes. I'm guessing. $5 million not to coach to bring in another coach for $8 million. I don't think he has enough money to do stuff like that. The I did see something that really stuck out to me, Mike from the Astros and I don't I'm not praising the Astros here yeah. but they did something that we've talked about why don't you just do this okay for a long time and they hired Dana Brown as their new GM yeah Brown had previously served as the Braves vice president of scouting uh that's was they had what Spencer Strider Michael Harris uh and Vaughn Grissom Vaughn Grissom yeah he's gonna he came up a little bit last year but he's gonna be most likely their starting shortstop this year 
And that that team is just like, hey, look at how stacked we are and how good we are at developing and moving players into Major League Baseball. Oh, you want a Cy Young candidate? You want a Cy Young winner? Here you go. We got one of those two. Yeah. They just keep rolling those kinds of guys out. This is where, for me, like I'm like, why hasn't why haven't the Rangers done something like this forever? But I am happy with the Chris Young, I'm very happy. Bruce Bochy group that we're putting out right now. I still have questions about development and the minor league system, but we'll see how that goes. I will say for it's Dana Brown, correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, I think it's a great hire by them. In a weird way, though, a lot of people around baseball think the Astros. It, they win, right. and they win every year. They're always winning the division. They've been to multiple World Series. I know what happened in 17, but now they just won one that you'd have to say is clean, as far as we yeah. know now. And they say they are so dysfunctional under Jim Crane. Like, he's a psycho owner. He's crazy. Like, think about it. They won last year, and he fired the general manager. Yeah. He said, you're gone. And I don't – was it for, because they just couldn't get along? Right. Or, okay. It, it was right. like he said something. It was a, a little bit of contract negotiation stuff, and he got – Jim Crane got rubbed the wrong way, and he said, done. I'm, okay. You're done. And so people that I've talked to are like, it's amazing how good they are at keeping that team together. At, they keep developing players here and there and, and making at times really solid trades, and yet there doesn't really seem to be good cohesion. Right. For this whole time, from 2016 to 2022, they've lost people that people thought were good baseball people, and then they don't have a general manager for this whole offseason, yet they were still able to get Jose Abreu. And yeah. still, so <laughs> it's interesting. It is and wild. I do like that hiring because if you're hiring someone higher up with the Braves, I think that's a great hire. Uh, at the same time, it's just weird that the Astros, in, amongst baseball people, are like, it's amazing how they're somewhat of a dynasty under this much dysfunction. I agree with you there. And I, I we, obviously I agree with the, hey, go get whoever is running the Dodgers developmental staff. Whoever's running that. I agree with those points. This also might be the best hire for the Astros right now as they are probably in that window of we're still pretty good, but let's continue to develop so we never have to go out of it. And you got a guy whose who's roots are in development, whose roots are in the minor league system to grow that part of it. So he's not going to look away from it and say that that's just, I don't want to go that route. He's going to continue to say, all right, so as you are aging out, you're still adding back younger, great talents, even though they still have younger, great talents. But now you can trade some of those aged veterans that you don't have to pay and stay with it's a wild place the Astros are in. This might be they are zigging when everybody else might be zagging at this time. Coming up next here on the KNC Masterpiece, it is time for baseball nuggets with Mike Bass. The top ten shortstops right now. Where does Corey Seager rank next? He was motion. The 2-0 pitch is hit high and deep to left field. This is carrying well. Marsh going back and it is gone. Into the second row of seats in straightaway left and opposite field blast for Corey Seager, his eighth home run of the year. The Rangers lead 1-0. A lot of those this year and hopefully a lot from Nathaniel Lowe coming up at noon today. We'll talk with the Rangers first baseman coming up at noon o'clock right there in your lunch hour. But right now it's time for Baseball Nuggets with Mike Bassett. Well, we got yesterday. If you weren't listening, what were you doing? But Marcus Simeon was the fourth best second baseman in MLB Network's top 10 right now, or MLB.com. Obviously, it's the same. And I said that Marcus Simeon, I think, can get to second. I think it'd be very tough for him to overtake Jose Altuve. But I was wrong about something. Uh, Our man, Jared Sandler, who I talked to after the show yesterday, I said, Jared, 
Explain to me this. I said, how did Marcus Simeon have a 0.0 war in 2019 when all of his offensive numbers were better than 2022? And he said he didn't. He had an eight uh, war. And I said, go look on ESPN. And he goes, you're right. It's 0.0. And then he went to baseball reference and he's like, Mike, I will tell you. And so now I'm going to tell our listeners this. Never go to ESPN for stats. Yes. Now, who would have ever thought that? Going to ESPN.com and hitting Marcus Simeon and hitting stats would be the worst place to go to find Marcus Simeon correct stats. They just turned the eight sideways, and it was two zeros. That'd That's be where, infinity. Yeah. yeah. Well, but then they put a dot in between. That okay. changed everything. Yeah, so anyways. But yeah, baseball reference, pro football reference, and basketball reference are my first places I always go. I just find that amazing that going to ESPN.com, you can't trust their war. Like, that's such a major stat in today's game. In fact, arbitration, a lot of arbitration cases are based off of war. A lot of contracts are based off of war. And ESPN's like, ah, we met. it's 0.0, who cares? <laughs> like, no, like, get, make sure you have the right one. They, like, used, I, they used to have a lot of people paying attention to that thing, and now they have less people paying attention to it. All right, so your top five shortstops, according to MLB Network right now, number one, Trey Turner. Now, he's changed teams. He's gone from L.A. to Philadelphia. Yeah, he has. Number two, Carlos Correa. He changed teams twice this offseason and then went back to the team he was on and said he wanted to go back to the Twins all along instead of just opting into a two-year contract, which would have paid him more money per year. But Carlos Correa is number two. Number three, Xander Bogarts. Now, he is going to a new team. He's going to the wow. San Diego Padres. So, two out of the top three are going to new teams. How about this? I'll give you one guess. Who was the number one shortstop last year on this list who is now not in the top three? Um, Oh, your guy uh, from New York, from the Mets. Lindor? Lindor. He's number five. Now, I'm going to give you an easier hint on this. He doesn't even play shortstop anymore. Lindor doesn't? No. Oh, that, the, the number one shortstop last year on this list isn't on the top 10 because he's not considered a shortstop. Tatis. Fernando Tatis wow. Jr. So last year, when you looked at this list, Fernando Tatis Jr. was number one on this list. Now, I will say, the reason I love this list, this is the most loaded position in Major League Baseball. Best athletes on the field. So this has become shortstop back when we were kids, right? You had Ozzie Smith, who was great defensive shortstop or when I played and right before I played in the major leagues Omar Vizquel unbelievable defensive player but not much of an offensive player right these guys that could just your corner range, infielders arm, and an outfielder right. were your hitters you're like we need a shortstop defense first offense we don't care about if you do get Cal Ripken Jr. kind of changed that right because they put a six foot four guy there with power and it was like what are you doing like he should be at third base you don't put a guy that big at shortstop and and possibly lack of range and so if you wonder about this, honestly, Cal Ripken Jr., I don't know who to compare him to. I don't want to compare him to Jackie Robinson. That's that's not a good comparison. But He's he like a 24 I'll tell you what, home I com- run guy. I compare Cal Ripken Jr. to Dirk Nowitzki. The way Dirk Nowitzki changed the game of basketball. You okay. can put it to one person and one person only. How did all of a sudden seven-footers have to become guard-like players? Because before, remember, everybody said – the Mavericks are screwing up this kid. What are they doing? You're never going to win with a seven-footer playing on the perimeter and handling the basketball. He needs to get on the block. He needs to be around the basket at all times. And Don Nelson said, no, 
I see the game of basketball a different way. I'm going to do it a different way. And now you don't want anybody on the court that's a, considered, I guess, a power forward being anywhere close to the basket. You want them all to be stretch force. And so Cal Ripken Jr. changed it where Derek Jeter's, Alex Rodriguez's, Nomar Garcia-Para's could start playing the shortstop position and be a major offensive weapon and be a bigger guy. Number four is Corey Seager. So career high in home runs, uh, 33. Yes, some of his other numbers did go down. Uh, defensively, I never saw Corey Seager play every day defensively. I do think he has to improve this year defensively. But he is number four. So you do have considered right now the fourth best second baseman and fourth best shortstop, according to MLB.com. I'm, I'm going to look this up because I don't know, and I'm not sure if you know. You watched Corey Seager every game last year. Right. Are other shortstops as – because maybe they are out of position. Mike, when you talk about that, not all these big guys or whatever can play that position the same way. Are other shortstops as bad as him defensively? And we just see Corey Seager a lot. When you watch a guy play every day, you either realize their weaknesses more or their strengths more. I will tell you this. With Adrian Beltre, I noticed his strengths more. When I saw him play every day, I was like, he's better than I ever could have thought he would be. When I watched Corey Seager defensively, I said, ooh, he's got to get better than that. Uh, now, that being said, I don't. I think the Rangers knew when they signed him to that contract, he's not going to be a shortstop throughout that contract. He's going to move, I would say, either to third base or first base during this contract. Um, but... I would say when I watch Xander Bogarts, he doesn't impress me at shortstop. His defensive defensively, war, his Seager's defensive war for that matter was twelfth last or was twelfth last year with a six seven. Trey Turner was seven one. He was eleventh. The best was Dan, Dansby Swanson with a twenty one. Yeah, who we know is a really he's good a great defensive, defensive shortstop. shortstop. And Lindor had a fifteen. So yeah, and and those two kind of. You combine offense and defense. Lindor and Swanson are considered your best defensive shortstops okay. in the game. I might have to look at somebody. Like Bobby Witt Jr. had a horrible defensive war, yet I think he's going to be great. He is not on this list. Number five was Lindor. Number six was Dansby Swanson, who you just mentioned. And by the way, Dansby Swanson uh, now switches teams. Okay. Two. Number seven, Bo Bichette, who I really like. I think he can be a top five shortstop in this game. This is such a loaded position. Um, number eight. Uh, I always get his last name wrong. Uh, Willie, I say Adams. I don't think it's Adams. I think it's Adamus. Okay, but I'm but I could be saying it wrong. Sorry. He's once again he's with the Brewers, and I don't watch a lot of Brewers, so I don't have like a great read on him. Number nine, your guy Tim Anderson, and number ten, Wander Franco. I think that shows how strong this is. Bobby Witt Jr.'s not on this list. I I think that... uh, No Elvis Andrus. No, yeah, no Elvis Andrus. But I do think C.J. Abrams is a nice young shortstop who got traded from San Diego to Washington. Uh, I think that um, the kid who you just mentioned earlier for the Braves, um, I always say Marquise Grissom. It's Vaughn Grissom. Vaughn Grissom, yeah. He could be a guy who really jumps on this list next year. I'm not going to say top five, but he could be a guy... There are just so many great, great shortstops. There are. Uh, this list this is, game. I'm looking at It's pretty extensive. And, and so uh, that is your top 10 shortstops right now. Corey Seager, fourth. Top 10, top 10 second baseman right now. Marcus Simeon. Uh, 
we're going to talk to Nate Lowe today, Nathaniel Lowe today. And sometimes I still call him Nate. I know I need to call him Nathaniel. That's what his mom says he wants to, or I don't know what he wants to be called by. Maybe we ask him during the interview. You like, can ask him that question If we say for sure. Nate Lowe, are we getting it wrong? Okay. Like, no, say, like if we say Kev, right? It's like, no, it's Kevin, right? For You're him, Mike. Like your name is Michael, right. but you're Mike. Right. In okay. my, but with my parents, I'm Michael. Yes. Which is fine. But everybody else knows me as Mike, and I'm fine with that. Would Nate, would Nathaniel Lowe be like, yeah, I'm fine with Nate Lowe or Nathaniel Lowe, but my mom sees me as Nathaniel and nothing else. Like, my mom sees me as Michael and not Mike at all. So I understand how moms can say, no, you call him by his full name. I wonder how Nathaniel Lowe feels about that. He was seventh in first baseman, and like we said, all of these guys that are on this list, they have to stay around this list. For Simeon, I think he can be better. I think he can be top two at second base. For Seager, I need him to stay in the top five uh, because it's such a hard list. That That is – shortstop is so loaded mm-hmm. that even if he fell to sixth, I'd be fine because there's so many guys. I think I think Bobby Witt Jr., real quick, I do think he is going to challenge the 40-40 mark this year, which has been done four times in Major League Baseball. But I am a big Bobby Witt Jr. fan. Yeah, I are. think he's going to be tremendous. Uh, I think defensively, his metrics are going to improve a lot. Remember, he had to start at third base last year to start the year until their shortstop got hurt. Then eventually he moved to kind of everyday shortstop. It was his first year in the major leagues. I think him and Wander Franco can make major jumps and maybe push a Corey Seager from fourth to sixth or seventh on this list, which wouldn't be the end of the world. I think Seager's going to be a little bit better this year. I think Simeon's going to be better this year. Nathaniel Lowe needs to stay in that top 10 first baseman. And then we will start taking a look at other positions next week as we talk to Nathaniel Lowe at noon as we get ready for Rangers Fan Fest. And it is two weeks away approximately from spring training starting. Nice. Nice. Great stuff, Mike. Coming up next, DeAndre Ayton's son, James Dolan, Ronald Acuna, and you. Who deserves forgiveness on Forgiveness Friday next on The Fan?